My Car Guru, episode 205. And this is Lenny Lawson, the Car Guru. Thank you for tuning in to this edition. You know, there's uh, several interesting dynamics going on in the car industry right now. Some of them are consumer-friendly, and some are not. One that is consumer-friendly is the fact that uh, vehicle inventories at uh, new car dealers across the country are improving somewhat. And so what that means, you know, if there's more availability and the demand goes down just a little bit, then prices are going to start to fall and they'll probably start kicking in some incentives again in the form of rebates and low-interest loans and stuff. I, I know the interest rates have been climbing. I mean, if you watch the news at all, you know that the Fed's been jumping about 75 basis points. That's uh, three-quarters of a percent. Basis points is, the, is banker language. So let's just not use banker language. This is a car show. We'll talk uh, three-quarters of a percent. So they're bumping the interest rate. That's going to directly impact a lot of things. But somebody asked me the other day, I said, does that affect car loans? Well, it does, but not as much. Because a lot of the car loans out there are subsidized, meaning that the manufacturers like Chevrolet, um, Hyundai, Mazda, whatever, they are uh, kicking in a little bit of extra money from the manufacturing side to keep the rates low for their uh, finance affiliates. So, you know, like Toyota has Toyota Motor Credit, Honda has Honda Motor Credit, and so forth and so on. So uh, they want to keep sales moving. It's one of the good reasons for dealers to stay well connected to, um, you know, their finance wing of their the company that they represent. If, like, for example, I am a Ford dealer, I fin- uh, finance my inventory, it's called a floor plan, with Ford, and so, or uh, with Ford Motor Credit. So F- Ford Motor Credit looks on me more favorably when it comes to getting cars financed and rates and stuff like that. If a dealer is, uh, let's say they're selling Toyotas, but they finance their cars, their inventory through uh, Chase Bank or something like that instead of Toyota, well, Toyota um, doesn't like that as much, and they will uh, give their dealers that, that are totally loyal to them better deals. So that's why I am with Ford Motor Credit and with Nissan Motor Credit, because I like better deals, and I like passing those deals on to my customers. So better U.S. inventories at all the dealerships is going to lower prices or have the impact of lowering, lowering prices overall. And as long as you finance with, uh, you know, some of these banks that are really aggressive in the car business or one of the captives like Ford Motor Credit, then you're going to still get good rates. So those are two good things as far as the consumer is concerned. The negatives still out there is going to be availability. Inventories, you know, have, have improved some, but still we have chip issues. And now we've got hurricane issues. Uh, yeah. Do you know how many cars were destroyed down in Florida? They're estimating 50,000 vehicles were destroyed. Uh, anywhere, well, Cox Automotive estimated the, stor- the storm destroyed between 30,000 and 70,000. So that's about 50,000. Um, it's really difficult because insurance companies are still reporting claims. We had a customer that called us about a Porsche that we had in stock. Uh, we had traded for it, and uh, it was exactly what he wanted, and he had it. Um, he, matter of fact, took delivery of his new Porsche in Florida two days before Ian 
decided to come visit and destroyed his Porsche. So he found ours online and put a deposit on it, and I guess he's going to be coming to get it before long. So that's going to happen. You know, what concerns me are just the vehicles that end up uh, getting, you know, lightly repaired uh, through salvage yards or, or through, you know, maybe an insurance claim is never turned in, and those cars end up at the auction, dealers end up buying them, or you end up buying one. And you've got a flood car on your hands, which could lead to all kinds of problems down the road. So uh, the chip shortage is still alive and well, and we are still fighting to get inventories. Uh, You're going to see any kind of a mainline franchise like General Motors, Ford, uh, the Chrysler Corporation, Stellantis. While the inventories are improving, we're a long way from where we used to be. You know, we're about 33% of what we used to be, so... Um, it's going to take a while. So anyway, if you want to get a vehicle, you need to get on the dealer's wait list, uh, get your vehicle ordered the way you want it. Just keep in mind that you may not be able to get all the options that you want. I know Ford just announced that on the F-250s and 350s and 450s, you cannot get a a King Ranch edition, a Platinum edition, or any of the other special, like a limited. Uh, The only thing that they're building are XLs, XLTs, and Lariats. Now, you can get a loaded-up Lariat, but still, there's a couple things that you won't be able to get, like the 360-degree camera. Can't get that anymore. Not for 2023. They're having to uh, peel back on a lot of the availability of options and just cut back on some of the technology means there's fewer chips that they need to build these things, and that's how they're going to help mitigate the inventory shortages. So anyway, just a little bit of industry news. We'll be back here in just a minute. We're going to jump back into history. We're going to talk about some of the biggest milestones in the history of automotive manufacturing, including some modern milestones, and we'll be back in just a minute. Okay, I'm back. You know, no industry out there operates in a vacuum where they're not influenced by other industries, other inventions, things that go on in science, uh, technology, any type of uh, engineering innovations. You know, so many times when they are developed in one industry, they find application in another. One of the things I think about is the infotainment system that we have in cars now. You know, before... When I was growing up, and probably when you were growing up, you had an AM, FM radio. And if you were lucky, you had a, uh, a maybe an 8-track player. Or Do you know they actually had cars back in the 50s that had a turntable, and they played LP records? Just fold down the uh, glove box, and there it was. I'd say that it, would, it probably jumped all over the place, though. Skipping was more than likely a problem. But, you know, we had when I was growing up in the early 70s, we had 8-tracks. And then the cassette came along. But, uh, you know, the whole screen thing, I mean, it really developed as a, as a result of the iPad. I mean, the iPad made, uh, I guess the engineers saw stars when they said, wait a minute, we could put one of these in the middle of a dashboard and our customers could control everything, you know, from this one screen. And that's where we're headed. But, you know, that's the way this, this thing works. It, it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. And uh, some of the biggest things that happen in, in the auto industry, uh, which really started around in, in the late 1800s, um, you know, they were putting, they had the internal combustion engine. Uh, it, was not, it was very crude, but they had one. They also figured out batteries, 
and able to store electricity. So, you know, early on there were the two compete well, three competing forces as far as propulsion for vehicles was were the internal combustion engine, which mostly used gasoline or kerosene or something like that, and then uh, the electric vehicle with batteries. Yeah, I mean they had electric vehicles back then, and then steam, and steam just was just so hard to do. I mean, and plus the, there were a lot there's a lot of danger involved. And so they just couldn't figure out how to make that work. It worked pretty good with um, railroads, but just not too good in a, in a passenger car. So steam kind of went by the wayside. I know Jay Leno loves his steam cars, and I see him when I go to the car show in Florida a lot. But in 1900 really was the first um, automobile manufacturing facility in Detroit. Uh, it was developed by or built by Ransom Olds. Recognize that name? Uh, Oldsmobile was the first uh, production car in Detroit, and the company ended up going bankrupt, but uh, he ended up selling out his interest to uh, uh, Mr. Durant, who formed General Motors and put all that together. Oldsmobile had a pretty good run. Uh, We had to give up Oldsmobile in 2006 because they said, we're not doing that anymore. General Motors cut the Oldsmobile brand's legs off. 1908, Henry Ford hit the scene with his Model T. Now, he had been through a lot of different generations. I guess you knew that you know Model T was the 20th version of his car, and that's just the 20th. I think it's the 20th letter in the alphabet, isn't it? So Model T was first put into production uh, at the Paquette, Paquette Avenue plant in Detroit. I think that's how you say that. Um, you know, his goal was to make the cars last and to make them affordable, and he was very successful in doing that. From 1908 to 27, he built some 15 million Model Ts. Uh, It was the longest production run of any automobile until what vehicle came around? That's right, the Volkswagen Beetle. It surpassed Henry in 1972. You know, back before 1911, if you wanted to start a car, you had to put a crank um, Basically, he had this little hand crank that you would attach to the front of the car right underneath the radiator. It was directly connected to the crankshaft in the motor, and you had to spin that with your hands. You had to make sure you had the gas on and the spark on, and as soon as you turned that, the engine would start. Well, it might take a couple tries. The problem with that is that a lot of people got their arms broken, and a lot of the ladies didn't want to have to get out there and turn that crank in order to start the car. So in 1911, that problem was solved with the electric starter. A guy named Henry Leland uh, developed it and installed it in a car that he had created, which was called the Cadillac. It was 1914 before a company came out with an all-steel body. Dodge was the first to introduce that. Before that, uh, wood was a primary component in the underbody of a vehicle, and now uh, Dodge figured that out. 1939, the automatic transmission came around. Uh, that was created by General Motors. They used hydraulic fluid, which allowed the gears to shift automatically during vehicle operation. Now it's all done electronically. Um, this upgrade meant that drivers could forego manual gear shifting. You know, I think I've about reached the age where I don't want to shift gears anymore. You know, I like driving my Miata and you know, the 66 Mustang and different things. I, uh, but I just, as far as traffic and stuff like I'm just too old. I like the automatic. My brother is a manual transmission nut. He just got a new Porsche, um, what is it, a Cayman 
GTS 2022 model. What's he do? He gets a manual transmission. Well, at least he got air conditioning. You know, we can thank Packard was the first car company to have air conditioning in 1940. Um, you know, and then by 1969, about half the cars manufactured had AC. Today, about 99% of cars have AC. Can't imagine buying a car without that either. Uh, fuel injection, you know, that was a big deal um, when it came out in 1966 in American cars. Fuel injection had been around a long time. They actually uh, started with fuel injection in airplanes, you know, back when airplanes were uh, around World War One and World War Two, they had fuel injection. Uh, now, fuel injection is the norm. No more carburetors. But it was a problem, you know, trying to figure out the electronic side of it. They got the mechanical fuel injection, came out as early as 1950 in automobiles. But then, uh, and, you know, Ford and GM, all of them experimented with fuel injection, but it just wasn't as reliable as it is today because it's now controlled by a computer. Back in the late 70s, when I first started uh, working in the service department, it was a bad time for the auto industry because the emission controls had just suffocated the car to the point where they didn't have hardly any horsepower. And uh, we had a lot of drivability problems, you know, where cars would hesitate when you were pulling out. They would surge on and off trying to figure out uh, the, the interplay between the computer and the carburetor. It just wasn't very accurate. So they came out with throttle body injection, and that changed everything. I mean, we stopped having those kinds of issues. And now all the injection systems are basically injected directly into the cylinder, and it's it's eliminated those types of problems. You know, cold starts, you know, so many times with carburetors, you had to pump the gas and, you know, you had to set the choke and stuff like that. And it just was a, a pain. Today, we don't have those problems. Uh, we have other problems like recalls. I mean, goodness sake, it's just like every week, it's every single brand out there has some new announcement about a recall. And recalls are only generated for safety-related issues, but there's so many different things that can that control that now. Used to, it was just, you know, you had steering, you had brakes, you're good to go. It's not that way anymore. Uh, too many complex systems are so tied to everything else, you could have something that's totally unrelated to the brakes, causing the brakes to, you know, give you a problem or to cause the the exhaust to fall off or some other crazy thing. There's just uh, recalls for everything. Uh, the important thing is to get them done because if you try to sell your car and it has open recalls, that could keep somebody from wanting to buy it. And to get your car fixed under a recall, you just have to make an appointment and show up because it's not going to cost you anything. Uh, sometimes you will get a recall notice and you'll call to make an appointment and say, well, we don't have the parts yet. That's just a sign of the times. We don't have parts for a lot of different things. So all this uh, technology that has developed over the years to make cars better and to make our lives better with our cars has a price attached to it. More expensive cars, uh, harder to diagnose and fix, lots of recalls. Uh, the, you know, We had a simpler time back when Henry was around making Model Ts. And uh, the expectations are totally different now as far as what people are tolerant of in terms of their vehicles. I mean, you wouldn't believe what some people will complain about 
as far as the performance of their vehicle. They're so used to a perfectly smooth ride when they get the slightest little thing as far as a vibration or something, then, you know, it sounds it seems like the world is going to come to an end for them. And and I understand that because cars are very expensive. And if somebody doesn't think uh, something that their car is doing is right, then they have a right to an answer to that. But sometimes that's just the nature of the beast, and it can't be fixed. How many times have you been to a service department uh, at a dealership and you took your car in for a problem and they – you know, on the repair order when you picked up your car, it said, no problem found. And you don't get any other explanation than that. You know, I would want to know. One of the things I recommend that folks do is to just check out some of the online forums. If you have a uh, particular problem with your vehicle and you've been to the shop a couple times to get it fixed and they've not had any luck, sometimes you will find the answer online because somebody else has experienced that same problem. So if you see it and you print it out, then take that into the dealership and have a discussion with them. They'll say, huh, well, we didn't check that. I need to check a little bit further. Because your case, the, the issue that you're having with your car is probably not the first time that has happened. For example, I'll give you a good example. On my F-150, uh, I, I mentioned this several weeks ago, we were rotating my tires, and they pulled the right rear wheel off, and a, the head of a bolt fell off onto the ground. And it is a retaining bolt that holds the axle. It doesn't really hold the axle in, but it is... We're not really sure why that bolt is there. It's just engineered there. But for some reason or other, on Power Boost F-150s, that bolt is getting sheared off for some reason because mine was the second one to do it, and just last week we had a third one do it. And I've talked to other dealers when I went to Las Vegas. I just, you know, shoot the breeze with some dealers. And I said, by the way, have you had any of these problems with these axle bolts falling off? And this guy said, yeah, I've had three of them in my shop. I said, were they power boost trucks? He said, matter of fact, they were. Was that the right rear wheel? Yes, it was. So this is a common problem. Uh, could that become a safety recall? Yeah, I think so. You know, if the word gets out and enough people complain about it, it could be. But we are uh, we're replacing the whole hub and axle assembly and everything in these cars or these F-150s, and it's taking care of the problem. Hopefully it'll be a long-term fix and it won't happen again. So, you know, some of the most recent uh, innovations like high-tech headlamps, uh, the smart key, boy, that has cost folks a lot of money. You know, when it used to cost $5 to make a key for somebody, and now it's $500 for some keys. A dual clutch transmission, the lockup torque converter, onboard diagnostics. I'm just going down through the list here. Turbocharging. You know, turbocharging has uh, transformed the Ford Motor Company. Um, they decided to go with small displacement engines to get, you know, to meet the fuel economy standards. And the only way to get more horsepower out of a small displacement engine is to put turbochargers on it. And they figured out a very reliable way to put small um, but very efficient turbochargers that were inexpensive. If they did fail, they're inexpensive to replace. And, boy, that has just really helped the Ford Motor Company maintain leadership in trucks. You know, GM laughed at them. They said, well, you can't use a six-cylinder engine in a full-size truck. Well, they did. And General Motors went the other way with uh, big V8 engines with cylinder deactivation where they would turn off two cylinders or, you know, four cylinders and, and it would, you know, hit, hit, help them hit the fuel economy requirements. So there's a bunch of different ways to do things, 
Uh, now they're abandoning abandoning a lot of that and, and deciding that hybrids and electric vehicles are the way to go. So, you know, just more evolution in the auto industry and sometimes more than we can take. But it's coming whether we like it or not. Well, okay, I'll take my last break. I'll be back here in just a minute. Well, I jumped in my F-150 uh, after the weekend. I, I took a Miata home to drive around and uh, came back to the dealership, jumped in my F-150 and turned on the ignition and a, and a tire pressure warning light came on. I had uh, 36 pounds of pressure in three of my tires and 14 pounds in the other one. Well, I got out, walked around, looked at it. You know, looking at that tire, it was I could tell it was a little bit down, but not down that much. And I ended up having a nail in my tire. So some of this technology is very beneficial. Uh, it's going to, it, it makes cars a, basically a more pleasurable thing to drive and own for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, it, cars are getting extremely expensive and, and what are they doing to be able to make cars more affordable? Just extending the terms that people can finance them. You know, now we have, uh, I used to think 72 months was a ridiculous amount of time to finance a car. Now we're doing 84, 96, you know, 110, you know, wh where's the limit? I guess as long as people want something, they'll figure out a way to pay for it. So anyway, don't forget the uh, car show this weekend. It's Cars and Coffee, really. It's a very casual car show that's coming up this weekend, this Saturday, the 22nd. And I'm going to be buying the coffee. We're going to start about 730 and go till, you know, people just get tired of me. And we'll do that probably till around 11 or 12. And then if you want to, you can come over to my dealership and we can, I'll give you a grand tour or we can actually sell you something if you want a new car. If not, you can go the other way and, and eat at Aubrey's, one of my favorite restaurants. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru. Call me if you need me, 423-552-2020, or send me an email to Lenny, L-E-N-N-I-E, Lawson, 2020, at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time.